This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. And if you open your Bibles with me to the book of Galatians, the fifth chapter, the title of my message this morning is Walking in the Fruit of the Spirit. Walking in the Fruit of the Spirit. Uh, I don't know of a better time for us to tackle a topic like this than today. Uh, We uh, are living in what the Bible calls perilous times. We're living in times where nothing makes sense. Let me me tell you something. If, If it doesn't make sense in the natural, it usually means it has a spiritual root. Let me say that again. If it doesn't make sense in the natural, it usually means that there's a spiritual root. I can tell you right now, that there's a lot of things that are happening in our nation that just don't make sense. And you see men twisting things to try to make it make sense, but it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't. I mean, common sense tells you that it doesn't make sense. And uh, the fuel situation is a lie. That's all it is. We're saying there's a one value system and we're putting out in public domain, there's a two value system. And you have some that get privilege and others that don't. And it is just foolishness at the highest level. That's all I can say. But nonetheless, when you see the work of fools and foolishness, well, a foolish act is done by either someone who is foolish or a fool, one of the two. I'm not going to pass judgment. I'm just going to say you judge for yourself. The Bible says speak to a fool according to his foolishness or don't speak to them according to their foolishness. So, you know, I'm trying to just speak to the church and say when you see foolishness, be careful. And the Bible is very clear in its instruction for those of us that are believers. The Bible says in Galatians 5, verses 13 through 26. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to your flesh, but love and serve one another. For all of the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. Thou shalt love your neighbor as you love yourself. But... If you bite and devour one another, take heed that you are not consumed of one another. This is what I say then. Walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So that you cannot do the things that you would. But... If you are led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, sedition, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and the such like. Of which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, 
that they that do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And against such there is no law. They that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts thereof. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another and envying one another. You see, the Bible is so clear. He says that the enemies of God are found in the scriptures. And he boils it down to three things. The, the, the enemies of God are not many. And I want you to understand that we all have enemies. The three enemies that we know of that are in the scriptures are the world, the flesh, and the devil. Everybody say that. The enemies of God are the, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And when you say it, say the world, then say the flesh, and then say the devil. No, no, the devil. I just hate the devil. Amen? So let me, let me talk about the world, the flesh, and the devil. I'm just going to touch these because that's not my message today. But worldliness is something that happens just because we live in this world. The world and the world system is a corrupt system. The whole world system is corrupt. The Bible says the whole world lies in darkness. The whole world system is an evil system. Now, if you believe that the system is a good system, that the systems of this world are good systems, well then you'll wake up one day and find out that, it was, that, that, that they're not, okay? The world system is in darkness. The men and women that operate in it and the demonic forces that control it are evil. But God says that we must overcome the evil. And we can only do this with spiritual weaponry. In fact, all of God's enemies can only defeat, be defeated or at least contained with the use of spiritual weaponry. But you must understand what the right weaponry is in the right season and the right enemy. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. That's the weaponry. He says they're spiritual weapons against spiritual forces, against things that are arrayed against us in spiritual ways. 1 John 5, 4 says, whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So what overcomes the world? What overcomes worldliness? Faith. This is the victory that overcomes the world, your faith. So if you want to overcome worldliness, if you want to overcome the machinations of this world, you do so, do so by growing your faith, by operating in faith. And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So you can't develop faith without meditating in his law, studying the Bible, being full of the word of God, because it's by faith that you're going to overcome this world. Many people think that they can do business the way the world does and be successful. Well, there's a price tag on that. But if you do business God's way, if you engage God's way, and you do so by faith, 
He'll show you a better way, a better way. The devil, let's talk about the devil. Well, our enemy, the devil, can only become, can only over, be overcome by the word of God. Remember Jesus? He was the example on this one. He was taken into the wilderness after he'd fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And while, after he was baptized, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. And while he's there, he's being tested, the Bible says, of the devil. The devil himself comes and tests him, tempts him. How many of you have ever been tempted by devilish things? Yeah, all of us have. Everybody raise your hand. We've all been tempted by devilish things, demonic things. And so the devil is tempting Jesus. Three times are depicted in the scriptures of him being tempted. But all three times Jesus turns to the devil and says, it is written. It is written. It is written. Let me tell you something. The way to defeat the devil, he doesn't understand anything except what defeated him in the first place, the word of God. The word became flesh. And Jesus defeated him with the word of God in the wilderness and then defeated him ultimately as the word of God on the cross of Calvary. But the devil understands the authority of the word of God. But if you do not know the word of God, if you do not know your rights and your privileges, your divine authority as a believer, then you will not know how to wield the word of God as a sharp two-edged sword in defense of yourself and against the temptations of the devil. The point I want to make today and major on is how to overcome the flesh. The Bible says we overcome the flesh by walking in the spirit. But how do we do this? Well, first of all, let me talk about the flesh a little bit. You know, when our flesh is in control, it's usually, it usually manifests its more unsavory elements because of some kind of pain in our lives. Most of the deeds of the flesh in yours and my life, in fact, if not most, all, are manifested out of pain in our own heart. And we see this exemplified in the scriptures in the lives of David and his two sons, Solomon and Absalom. You see, when a person is in pain and has not learned how yet to yield his flesh to the spirit, to the Holy Spirit, he or she usually reverts to one or more ways of alleviating that pain. There are three ways that we alleviate pain. One is we medicate it. There are many people in church, and I know you look good on Sunday. Just tap your neighbor and say, he's talking about you now. <laughs> Just tell your other neighbor, say, you're looking good today. You're looking really good. If you're listening and streaming with us, just look, at, find somebody, say, you're looking good. And if there's nobody around, just tap yourself in the chest and say, that's me. That's me. I'm looking good today. But wherever you're at, it's not what you look like that matters. You see, I know many people that have deep, deep wounds in their heart. In fact, all of us. Deep pains. The way that we alleviate that pain for many people is through drugs or alcohol or painkillers or sex, sexual pleasures. The Bible calls these the sins of the flesh. And you know, it's amazing because 
those things do alleviate pain for the moment. Oh, but the guilt and then the shame and then ah, I call myself a Christian. But all those are indicators of your flesh. God says these are the deeds of the flesh. Your flesh is controlling you and your flesh is not controlled by my spirit. The second way that we are alleviating the pain or dealing with it is we motivate it. So we medicate it or we motivate it. And when I say motivate it, we have many people that have become workaholics. They just drive themselves. They just, they, they keep themselves busy. And when they're not driving, they're with people all the time. And when they're not with people, they have the television on. They've got the radio on. They just keep themselves so busy all the time just so, so that they don't have to deal with the pain. Becoming a success at all costs. We have people that success is everything. And if I could just be a success in the eyes of somebody, the pain will go away. They'll murder. They'll sacrifice. They'll do witchcraft. They'll lie. They'll, we have preachers that will even preach heresy to make themselves look like they're a success. Then the third way is we meditate it. We think so long on the negative or we meditate on the wrong things so as to give place to the enemy. This can lead to slander, to murder, to character assassination, every evil act imaginable. And so we see these principles in the scriptures. We can see it played out in the flesh, in the lives of King David, Solomon, and Absalom. King David medicated his pain. He's the greatest of all kings. In fact, all kings are measured by this king. And although he had a great heart after God, in fact, he was known as the man after God's own heart. He could never really deal with the pain that was also in his own heart and was unable to father his own children. I believe the Bible clearly indicates that David had father wounds and those were never dealt with. Let me postulate a position. It's amazing to me that when Samuel came to anoint the new king in the stead of Saul, he came to the house of Jesse and he said, Jesse, do you have any sons? He says, yes, I do. He says, would you bring them all? And he did. He brought seven sons and Samuel, the great prophet, stood in front of each one of them and said, surely this is the one. And God says no and rejected him and rejected the next. And at the end, he rejected all seven, and I think Samuel probably said, wow, am I not hearing the voice of God? He turned to Jesse and says, is this all that you have? Is this, oh, 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 yeah, oh, by the way, yeah, there is one other. And so send for him. Oh, he's the, he's the youngest son, and he's taking care of the sheep. So they send for the younger son. The Bible says that he was of ruddy complexion. You know, I don't know what that means. But why would the Bible say he's of ruddy complexion? David himself said, I was conceived in iniquity. Many scholars today believe that David was a colored. Do you know what I mean? In our culture. 
He was a half-breed. He was a half-caste. He wasn't black or white. He was somewhere in between. He was the ruddy one. He was the one that had a different complexion. He was probably conceived outside of the normal marriage. All we know is for sure that he was kind of mistreated by his dad and probably different than the rest of the sons. It may not be that. It may just be the fact that he was the youngest and by the time he came along, dad was old and dad just didn't have the energy anymore to take care of that guy. And, you know, hey. But still, nonetheless, there was rejection in this kid's heart. He's the afterthought. Maybe he was the old, the youngest child. He was the mistake. Oh, geez. I thought we were done having kids after seven and now number eight comes. Oh, my God, you know. And that's how he's talked about her. That's how he felt. I don't know. But those wounds lead to us possibly doing things in our lives. I know this, that later on we see David go out to take cheese and bread and supplies to his brothers in the front lines and the other army members. And when he gets there, there's a battle taking place and he runs to the front lines with his brothers and he's listening to the stories and he, he makes a comment. He says, who's this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of God? And his brothers look down on him and say, who are you? You small child. Shouldn't you be with those few small sheep? I, hey, I mean, when your older brother's putting you down, I'll tell you, there's no deeper wound than a brother who can't let you succeed. There was a wound there. Think about the young boy left for hours alone. Oh, I know that when he tended the sheep, we see the one side of the story. He fell in love with God. But, you know, I don't think that you can stay in a field for 15 or 18 hours and play a harp for 18 hours. I think you can fall in love with God in one hand. On the other hand, your mind can go to places that feed something, rejection. Feed fear. Feed pain. Why would my dad leave me out here for so many hours? Why would I have to do this alone? Why isn't there anyone to be here with me? Loneliness does something to people's hearts. And maybe his lowly position reflects that he feels like he's obviously being rejected by his father. You see... Whatever these reasons were, the obvious rejection in David's heart led him to do many things to try to heal his pain. We know he had a temper. Anger and hatred brewed just under the surface of his outward temperament. He wanted to murder Nabal. Thank God for Abigail. She was such a smart woman, such a wise woman. She placated him. Later on, he was killed and he married her. I think because of the wisdom he saw in her. But David couldn't obey the rules of the kingdom. He set up rules. And one of the rules was that no one should go on the rooftops at night. No man, no male should go on the rooftops at night. Because the women were allowed to go on the rooftops and bathe. But where's the king? It's a good rule for everybody else. It's kind of like all politicians. The rules apply for everybody but me. Me, I'm the king. I don't have to obey any of the rules. But the truth of the matter is that if it's a rule, 
we should all obey it. If it's a, if it's a kingdom rule or a governmental rule, it's for all or there is no governance. Government is for everybody. There are not exclusions. But David thought there were. But look where it led him. To the rooftop. And he was looking at the girls taking their baths. In fact, bath Sheba. Not only did he watch her take a bath, and not only does the Bible say he saw that she was very beautiful, it led him to do something else, to call for her. Not only did it lead him to call for her, but to satisfy his fleshly desire by fornicating and committing adultery with her. But like much sin... Sin begets sin. Before long, a little note gets slipped under his door. I don't know how to say this, but uh, I'm pregnant. And a whole new problem arises in the eyes of the king. So he calls for Uriah, her husband, who's in the front lines fighting and says, "Uh, I'm calling you back on furlough. Come back. I'd like to see you. So he comes back. He says, oh, he says, hey, listen. You know, you're one of my favorite guys. You're one of my mighty men. And he says, uh, I just, you know, I just, hey, why don't you just go home and thank you for being here. Go home and just spend the night with your wife tonight. But the man is of a noble, virtuous man. And he says, no, he says, I'll just sleep with the troops. David finds out. He says, oh, man. Say, plan B, plan B, plan B. So he gets him drunk. They get drunk together. <laughs> Why don't you go home and just be with your wife tonight? But the man, even in a drunken stupor, wouldn't succumb to his own flesh. He was more noble than the king. David has left no other choice but to say, well, you go back to the front lines. He says, take this note with you and give it to Joab when you get there. Joab opens the note and says, send Uriah to the front lines and when he's right at the heat of battle, withdraw from him. Joab knows exactly what this is. Joab is David's hired gun. David, he'll do anything for David, but he's a usurper. It's all for this. It's all for money. It's all for power. Flesh begets flesh begets flesh. David has... Bathsheba's husband murdered. Mm. Can you imagine? His life really got complicated, didn't it? That's what flesh does. It just complicates. Solomon, he's the wisest rich, and richest of all the kings ever. In fact, His wealth has never been surpassed or matched by anybody. He had so much gold and silver and bronze that they could hardly contain the gold. And the silver and bronze, they piled in heaps outside the city gates. There was so much of it. In fact, today, we're finding out that through David's 
or through Solomon's concubines and contracts that he made and treaties he made through marriage, much of the world's gold, even today, can be traced back to the Solomonic Empire. Pretty amazing stuff. Solomon was the epitome of an overachiever. He was a workaholic. He conquered lands. He made treaties throughout the whole known world, through marriages, through contracts. He controlled the wealth of the whole world. A thousand wives. That would just keep you busy right there. A thousand wives and concubines. I mean, that would just keep you busy the whole time. I don't know how. I, 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 can, hardly, I can hardly make it with one wife. I can imagine what it's like to have two, three, but a thousand? Oh, my God. And we know that he neglected his families. If he had, I don't even know. I don't know how you measure that, okay? But we see in the book of Ecclesiastes, and we know that this is a study of a man who gave himself to every fleshly desire, only to find out that it was all foolishness. And in the end, here's what he says. In Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, he says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment and every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. He says a lot of things. He's, in other places he says, Vanity, vanity, the whole of life is vanity. Solomon, Solomon. But he denied his flesh nothing. And hence he became one of the most evil of all the kings. He led Israel into idolatry of every kind. He doesn't go down as a great king. He was a wise king. He, but he used his wisdom for foolishness because of flesh. Then finally we come to the most tragic of all the stories is Absalom. Absalom is the son of David. He's supposed to be the heir. He's the oldest son. He's supposed to be heir to the throne. But when his younger brother, Amnon, rapes his sister, Tamar, and you all know the story, the Bible says that he held this in his heart and in his mind for two years without showing any outward emotion although he became embittered and angry towards his father because his father didn't react to this heinous crime against his sister. His father did nothing to Amnon. His father never even addressed it. His father, in his own woundedness, could not address his own sons. In fact, it led to such bitterness that after two years he tricked his father into having Amnon and some of the other sons and the servants go with him to the threshing floor. And when he pulled him aside, he took revenge for his sister Tamar and murdered Amnon and then fled for his life. He's in exile for three years. And during those three years of exile, Nobody speaks to him. Nothing happens. Finally, Joab can't bear it anymore. David is in the city wasting away. He's so agonizing over the loss of Amnon, but also the loss of his favorite son. 
good-looking Absalom, flesh. So Joab plots a plot, tricks David. Absalom is allowed to come home, but he has to stay in his own house. For two years, he stays in his own house, on his own property, kind of a house arrest. And during that two years, what happens? He broods, he thinks, he meditates. He's, he's reworking all this and becoming more and more bitter. Finally, after two years of no one talking to him, Joab doesn't talk to him. David doesn't talk. He's just in isolation. He's so bitter. He goes out and he burns Joab's fields. Joab says, what have you done? He says, what did you bring me back for? So that I could just sit here and do nothing? I finally got your attention, didn't I? You know, sometimes when people are acting out, it's just the flesh trying to get the attention of somebody. Would somebody love me? Would somebody take care of me? Would somebody? It's your flesh. Anyway, it gets worse. Absalom then begins to be allowed to stand in the gates of the city. No restoration with his father, but he tells the people of the church, I mean the city. <laughs> he tells people, he says, hey, if I were king, I would take care of your problem. All the people that came with grievances, he would say, well, if I was the king, if I had, if I had the power to do it, here's how I'd do it. And he won the hearts of the people. He was good looking. He won the hearts of the people. Well, guess what happened? Before long, there's enough people to follow him that he says, let me go up to Hebron. Now remember, Hebron is where David was first announced king. Let me go to Hebron and do sacrifice there. So all of his friends and a bunch of the people from the temple, a bunch of people go with him and they crown him king. And the shout comes out, Absalom is king. And David hears the news. He says, he will surely take the kingdom for the hearts of the people are with him. Whew. The flesh can lead you to incredible things. Now he's the enemy of his father. David runs for his life. Leaves Jerusalem in a hurry. And Absalom's counselors tell him, if you really want to become noxious in the eyes of your father, he says, go have sex with his concubines. And he does. He takes David's concubines and has sex with them on the roof of the house. So everybody in Israel knows. Hey, this is the biggest... You can, Talk about thumbing your nose at your father. This is the biggest thing you could possibly do. But the bitterness had grown so deep in him that the flesh is out of control. That's how it is in our lives. We either medicate, motivate, or meditate our flesh. So what is the solution to dealing with the sins of the flesh. Well, we read in this passage of scripture, it says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So what does walking in the spirit look like? Well, Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, Goodness, faith or faithfulness, meekness, 
temperance, and against such there is no law. Now, next Sunday I'll pick this up and tell you some things and guide you as to how that fruit can be manifested in our lives. But let me suffice to say this today because of the honoring of time. Today, there are many in this church and there are many in the nation where our flesh is being taunted. Our flesh is being, we're given lots of opportunities to live by the flesh. When you're in a petrol queue and 200 Little taxis are allowed in front of you so they can get fuel to go sell it on the black market at three times the price, which is happening, by the way. And, 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 and everybody knows it. When you hear the stories of fuel coming across the border and being weighed, and yes, it's weighed, but it's been paid for, but it stayed on that side of the border. They just filled the Bowsers with water. No, it's true. It's true. Somebody made some money there illegally. But at the expense of you and I. At the expense of the nation. You see, I think we have to be careful because there's a lot of people that aren't in this for the nation. They're in it for themselves. But that gives us a lot of opportunity to let the flesh... Doesn't it make you just want to get mad? Sure it does. And the Bible says there is a righteous anger. But let me tell you something. To walk in the Spirit is to allow God room. Instead of me be judged, let God be judged. Allow God room to move. Because I can tell you something. that This kind of wickedness always ends poorly. Always ends badly. And God will see to it. You see, the fruit of the Spirit simply means this. Stop one second. Instead of reacting, act. Instead of letting that emotion that is not love or full of joy or full of peace, not full of long-suffering, patience, goodness, kindness, mercy, See, when you have some other attribute, some other emotion rise up in you, why is it there? Stop. When the pain is so great that you say, oh, if I could just have one more dope. Uh, let's just go <sighs> smoke another joint. Yeah, you know what? The pain goes for a minute, but it dull, it's just dulling your senses. It's just dulling you. Oh, let me just find some cutie in the church here. Or let me find some man that'll love me. Just any man that'll love me. It's not love, it's lust. It satisfies for that moment. But boy, in the end. Or maybe all you can do is sometimes think about how bad your life is how you hate your mother, how you hate your father, how you hate your condition, and you're meditating on it. You're thinking about it. And what it's doing is giving way to flesh. Some people become so driven that they don't 
means I have to sacrifice a baby, if it means I have to sacrifice my own child, if it means that I have to go to a witch doctor to be rich, they give up on the Spirit of God. They give up on self-control. They give up on who they are in Christ. And then the conflict becomes so great. Our poor little children, many of them are your sons and daughters. They need to see mom and dad. You know, the way the system is broken so badly, now the time that we could be spending with our children is spent six, eight, I heard 18, 24, 48 hours in petrol queues. People can't get to church. People can't find fellowship. People can't go to cell group. People can't take care of their children. Why? Because of the wickedness and the evilness of a misrun nation. It's evil. It's wicked. It's destroying families. It's destroying society. Now, folks, let me tell you something. Don't let it destroy you. Don't medicate it. Don't medicate it. motivate it put a line in the sand and say hey you know what I did my hours today I did my hours this week I got another job at home I got a wife I got some kids I got some grandkids I gotta find my grandkids I gotta spend time with them because you know what in eternity whether I had an extra tank of petrol or not won't really matter but if I nurture my family and they have a hope in the future it will Finally, don't meditate it. Yeah, I met some guys the other day. Yeah. They'd been listening to all the wrong stuff. They had all the facts, all the details, and they were worked up. Somebody said to me, Pastor, you said in your word of the year that this would be a year of warfare. Do you mean that we're all supposed to go? I said, no, wait, wait, wait. I'm not calling for anarchy or insurrection. I'm talking about first in the spirit, then in the natural. Spiritual warfare. Okay. Our wrestle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual principalities, against powers and forces in this dark world. They're in this world, but even these men that are so-called leaders, they're just driven by demonic spirits. They're wicked. I don't think they even know really what to do. I think they're just looking for anything. They're grasping at anything right now. Because there is no plan that I can see. No clear direction. No real solid policy. So don't get mad at them. Understand that they're under the influence of demons. Demonic spirits. They invoke them in the name of ancestors and witch doctors. They're invoking them. You can't expect light in darkness. You can't expect truth in lies. So don't get mad. Stay in the spirit. Stay in light. Stay in liberty. Let the liberty that Jesus bought for you dwell in your hearts. Amen. So today as we close the service, and if you're listening, my goodness, don't let your heart be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Love people. Let generosity flow out of your heart. Bless people. Be a blessing in the spite of the wickedness. 
help one another, love each other, build your friendships. And today, if you're here or if you're listening and you say, I've just had enough, and you see that your flesh is maybe taking control, here's my recommendation. Get back to the Word of God. Next week, I'll tell you how to build up your spirit. Get people here. We'll tell them how to get over this, how to get in the spirit, how to walk in the spirit, how to live in the spirit. Because I'll tell you what, walking in the spirit, living in the spirit is absolutely the answer to all of our problems. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.